This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail Rose and Tahanu. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our show today on another beautiful morning in San Diego. Ahanu, say hello. Morning, everybody. Yes, indeed. This is our first show of the new year, and we are all excited about this in more ways than one. Sex is always exciting, isn't it? It's a big seller. And the same is true in 2014 as it was in 2013 and 12 and all the years since man was created. I think the word, the operative word there is man. (laughs) I know. Isn't it interesting that a lot of our recent shows have been about, whether they're about feminine issues or or, uh, issues of sexuality or something, but areas that more and more of us need to be more comfortable with and not shy away from. And this is one of the purposes of our show today is to explore these deep reasons why sexuality exists in the first place, what it has to do with Kundalini, how our body actually operates, and all those deeper, deeper questions rather than the surface level of the commercialization of our sexuality. Yes, so this is a very important conversation today, which uh, we are going to be having with Penny Kelly when she arrives. She's up there in Michigan, probably knee-deep in snow. Anyway, we love Penny Kelly as our guest. As you know, she's so full of wisdom and experience. But uh, And yes, we do wish everyone a Happy New Year and hope that your Christmas was also fantastic. I have a feeling from being in the records that this year is going to be uh, quite interesting, very different, and mixed with much more positive and enlightenment for people. So we're really looking forward to that. So, Hanu, do we have any announcements before we bring our penny on? Yes, as always, we do have announcements. And one of the most important ones, of course, is that Angel Rose is running her first and probably only workshop on how to read the Akashic Records in February, starting February 22nd. It's a weekend workshop, how to read the Akashic Records. And that is going to be one humdinger of a workshop. And it's also in much demand. So if anybody would like to learn to read the Akashic Records, you do have to make your way to San Diego. She won't do it over the air. She won't do it online. It's just too precious, too sacred. And you do have to make your way to physically be in San Diego for that occasion. But I assure you, it will be worthwhile. It will really, really be exciting. I will be there. That's February 22nd and 23rd in San Diego. If you are interested in coming, my method is a bit different than what's out there. So please do let me know from theworldofempowerment.com or shoot me an email at angelrose at angelrose.com. That's A-I-N-G-E-A-L-R-O-S-E at angelrose.com. Now, we also have, too, by way of a reminder, on Sunday mornings, we have Group Akashic Records online at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And you can find out more information about that at worldofempowerment.com. Worldofempowerment.com, all one word, World of Empowerment. And 
if you're interested just sign up there to get on the general list it's a it's a private group in the sense that there won't be notifications on the website but if you're on our list you will be notified and that way you can attend the various group Akashic Records that we do on Sundays one per month is free and the others are topic specific a small fee for those topic specific groups but they do explore issues like Kundalini and sexuality and of course ETs and who are we and why are we here and angels and archangels and ascended masters and all kinds of great goodies Yes, and actually this the group tomorrow is free. That's the first Sunday of the month. So it begins at 10 a.m. Pacific time and runs for 90 minutes. And all you need to do to register is go to worldofempowerment.com. And these sessions are for, they're not for personal questions. They're for the bigger questions, such anything that you can think of. So tomorrow being a free group will be open forum, which means you can ask whatever topic you choose as long as it is spiritually related, metaphysically related, world related, you know, bigger questions is what we're really looking for. And then the week after that, we will be exploring the light bodies this month. I do know that for sure. And those are always really interesting because you get 90 minutes on just one topic alone. So do look into that because they uh, are proving to be quite popular and a wealth of information. Yes, and also remember that these transcripts from these sessions are being turned into ebooks for Amazon Kindle. So if you were to search for either Angel Rose, A-I-N-G-E-A-L-R-O-S-E, or myself, Ahanu, A-H-O-N-U, on Amazon Kindle, you will find a number of those transcripts are available. Or you can purchase them, of course, from our website, worldofempowerment.com. Now, the eight steps to freedom is available at 8stepstofreedom.com. That's hyphenated and has the number 8, 8stepstofreedom.com. Angel Rose's book, A Time of Change, is at atimeofchange.info, and her new book can be pre-ordered. It's called The Nature of Reality at thenatureofreality.info. So we have really interesting things coming up for you. All right, and Ahano's book will be out hopefully in February. The Reincarnation of Columbus, which is at the Reincarnation of Columbus dot info. Okay, we're just about ready to begin here, and we have made our announcements. The last time we had Penny Kelly on, I think it was in November, and we discussed several things like consciousness and energy and her work with Dr. Levengood on crop circles, bovine incisions, her encounter with the elves of Lily Hill Farm and her book of that name. And she has a learning center there in Lawton, Michigan, Michigan and uh, called Lily Hill Farm and Learning Center. And for those of you that may have missed those episodes, here's a tiny little background on Penny. She's a writer, a teacher, a consultant, a speaker, a publisher and a naturopathic physician. And she has been researching and exploring consciousness, cognition, perception and intelligence for over 30 years and she has written six books of her own while at the same time she publishes books on subjects of spirituality and health for others and she has shared with us her experiences of consciousness and the growth of awareness and kundalini and that was what we discussed on our most recent time but we've actually also discussed things like dreams and whether jesus actually ever really lived or not 
and today we're continuing our discussions on consciousness and Kundalini, but specifically about sex and Kundalini. Alrighty, so yes, let's go ahead and bring Penny on, Hanu. Good morning, Penny, are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning. Oh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Are you knee-deep in snow there? Oh, yes, we are. (laughs) And it's frigid here. Oh, it's frigid. Uh, Well, I won't rub it in then. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, we have um, had some really rough weather this winter. It's been a little harder than the last few years, so... Yeah, so what have you been up to? Yeah. Well, actually, just getting through the holidays. I've been sort of in a state of mourning um, from my sister and all the deaths that I have been through in this last year. At the same time that I am looking at, um, this is the period of the year, January, that I traditionally review and read all of the notes that I made for last year, and and just try to see, did I get anywhere with my, you know, my study? I always have a course of study that, that I'm working on. And uh, do I want to set up a new course, different subject? Do I want to continue the old one? How do I assemble what I've learned and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, so is, there, I am, uh, is there anything right you want to... Anything you want to share about that review? Um, yeah, I was actually, um, I'm working on Consciousness and Energy Volume 3, and so I've been doing a tremendous amount of research back through my notes and journals and records and et cetera. And the subject that I've been studying for a number of years now is the subject of intent. And I went about it, what I realized this last, you know, few weeks is that I went about um, studying intent, trying to learn about intent, all wrong. (laughs) Um, It is intimately, intimately tied to the individual, uh, individuality of each person. And so the natural interests and the natural... Um, in the Toltec system, we say the predilections of the individual, of the natural pull that you have in a direction, is part of um, being able to utilize intent. And I didn't realize that until this last year. And I, um, in November, I had a, just an astounding experience in a dream state and um, was realizing that if I did something in that dream, state where I was not subject to physical law, but I intended that to um, spill over into an effect in this world that, in fact, it would do that, and, in fact, it did do that, and so I don't want to give the whole book away, but um, that was the first breakthrough, really, those two understandings that, you know, you can't just impose um, the intent to, uh, let's say, achieve Christhood's which was my original goal. I'm going to achieve this Christ. So you can't impose that from the outside. You have to find your way to that from the inside. And it has to be in alignment with your special gifts and your special skills. And, you know, I've always been big on really nurturing people's skills and gifts and abilities, but I didn't realize that it was so. I mean, it is the critical piece to understanding intent. 
um, each individual has a very unique intent embedded within it. Do you think intent is similar to a person's desire? It is a person's desire. The person's Period. desire. Yeah. You just hit it right on the nose, then, Gail. <laughs> yeah, okay. So We're talking at the same time. Go ahead. What did you say? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I said, you know, it, it's, um, it's just something that's built into us. And then I, you said something that sounded even more interesting, so... Well, Penny, that's a perfect that's a perfect lead in to our discussion today because when you talk about desire, I think everybody on the planet is familiar with sexual desire. Is this the same kind of desire that you're talking about in terms of a desire towards Christhood? Are they connected in any way at all? Yes. Short answer is yes. The long answer is, you know, if you're if you're me, then the long answer is how and why. Yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just not good enough to say, yep, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't. We're taught very early to begin ignoring our desires, and parents often do not honor our desires. Our first desires are for food and for comfort and for, you know, shelter and to be loved and to be brought into the world. That's why we cry for attention, because we want somebody to direct our attention into this world. We want to be um, coaxed, actually. Um, and, and you know, and most parents are not taught how to be parents, and so there's all sorts of rules that they're following, and the rules are totally unnatural, and so the child's first lessons are, first, you ignore yourself. And then, you know, we'll see what goes after that. And then you get into school, and school is all about other authority, um, and it just makes it worse. And then we get into young adulthood, and we start running into the natural tendency of our body to want to evolve, which sexuality is intimately tied up with that evolutionary spark and desire um, we just are, there's all kinds of rules about sex and sexuality and all kinds of preaching and teaching that is just absolutely ridiculous and has no basis in any reality. And so, you know, by the time we get to be full-functioning adults, we have learned to ignore all of our desires and to be substituting um, whatever advertising, for instance, tells us we should want. Yes. So we're off on the wrong foot early on. Yeah, and I I will totally agree with that because, um, you know, of course, remembering my own childhood and remembering how, you know, my own little imagination of invention was basically <laughs> poo-pooed by my parents as, you know, living in la-la land, as you know, okay? So, yep. Yep. you know, so any of my natural... Abilities, and even when I remember when I was young, uh, even in terms of people being sick and dying, uh, I had a memory that that was unnatural. Mm-hmm. I remember expressing that to my parents and, oh, Gail, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> Gail sees the world through rose-colored glasses type of thing, you know, and she's not realistic. Mm-hmm. And this, let me, I'm going to teach you about the real world. <laughs> so, That's and, really uh, what a lot of focus is. Yes. Yeah. Well, Penny, objectivity. Objectivity. Penny, are you Not saying that that if somebody was to 
be born and reared outside of, of our current conventional norm, that they would naturally grow in this sexual desire awareness, but for a higher purpose. Are you saying that that would grow naturally and that we've thwarted it in some way? Yeah, I think it would. Um, I have been in some reality systems where the sexual thing is done completely differently. And, you know, here we've got a system that squashes it. Um, So one thing that I would really like to point out right from the start is that when you enter into higher states of consciousness and when you have a full-blown kundalini event and you enter the Godhead, there is a bliss there and a satisfaction that is orgasmic. And there is no other way to describe it because higher states of consciousness will trigger a, an orgasm in the individual body and all of my kundalini experiences. And if you read much of the Eastern literature, they talk about it there too. Um, the men have much greater difficulty with it than the women um, because when you get into these God states, there is a full sexual arousal. The entire body is awake, alive, and turned on. Feeling is flowing through every single cell. And literally, there have been experiences in which I've been aware of every single cell. And that that kind of bliss is just kind of off to the side of a lot of spiritual traditions. You're supposed to resist that. You're supposed to not get distracted by that. And it is true that learning to hold a higher frequency of consciousness does result in learning to hold a higher level of sexual arousal. But nobody's ever said, why? What is the connection between the two? And I think we have to, at some point, begin to look at the fact that um, the sexual experience is a return, however briefly and however small or however massive that orgasmic experience is. It is a return to just a little touch of the experience of the God within. Yes. And that is just totally 180 degrees from what we are taught. And Penny, can it work the other way around? Can a sexual orgasm lead to a rise in Kundalini? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that that brings up something that I think is really uh, important, Ahanu. Back in the ancient times, what are ancient times being somewhere five, six, seven, eight thousand years ago, when the goddess cultures were in full bloom in, you know, around the planet, and there were um, just these tremendous sexual ceremonies. Sex was considered a sacrament. It was something that was done in a celebratory mode. Um, People were encouraged to have sexual experiences of all sorts because they never knew which one of those experiences was going to trigger the full awakening. And each one, when done properly, 
um, led to a little bit more consciousness, a little bit broader awareness, etc. And the sexual, what we call sexual arousal, was linked to higher consciousness. And that those um, those ancient goddess cultures uh, were very very powerful. Sex was something that was both communal and private. It was public as well as private. Um, and there were still some of those public overtones left in Hawaii when the um, whoever first you know traveled to the Hawaiian Islands discovered the Hawaiian people were having sex in the street or wherever, um, in the garden, on the front porch, it didn't matter where. And they, they didn't have any shame or any... Um, you know, they weren't reticent about that at all. And um, the other thing that went along with those goddess cultures was that they were matriarchal. God was seen as a woman, and they were um, matrilineal. Women were seen as the head of the family. And what went along with that was that women had all the power. They owned the land. They made the decisions. They made the laws. They did the business. They made all of the, you know, the contracts and um, managed the exploration and the education of everyone. And they really did it from a point of being, um, you know, very, very focused on the high evolution of consciousness. So that matriarchy, matrilineal kinds of kind of uh, world was what existed when sexuality was recognized as the key to higher consciousness. And then what happened were these hordes from the north. Um, they were called mountain men. They were big. And they were powerful. They came down. They began migrating southward. Um, and those migrations ended up gradually suppressing the goddess cultures. And they, these were men who came down um, worshipping the volcano. They worshipped Pele, in, in effect, is really what they were doing. But their god was male, and, um, and their attitude was very antagonistic to the goddess cultures. And little by little, um, they, they absolutely, well, actually right from the start, they were not at all agreeable to having the sexual act be um, private or public. They wanted it to be private. They were not at all agreeable that women should own the land, should run, you know, the education system and the government and all of that. And they began to they began to fight to stamp out the goddess, and the symbol of the goddess cultures was, was the serpent. And so there are lots of stories about fighting the great serpent, and those really are all stories that have been twisted away from the truth of that incredible fight that took place, which is still happening between men and women. Um, in an effort to get control of the land, they had to stamp out the matriarchy. And in order to get, um, you know, control of the family, they had to make sex bad, and they had to put women as subject to men. And the result of that was that now, um, the you know, instead of being matrilineal in, suggest in succession, children were born to a man. 
and they were belong they belonged to their father and they took their identity from him and everything was uh reversed gradually over time a lot of bloodshed lots of betrayals lots of difficulties there um and eventually we came down to what we have today which is a pat- patriarchy a patrilineal society and a society in which men basically make the decisions, they make the laws, they run the families, they do the education system. Women work in a lot of those places, but it's the really men who make those decisions. And it's um, it just went out of balance. Um, and, and I know from looking at some of the ancient goddess cultures that there were imbalances in those as well. But the, you know, the solution to an imbalance is not to just reverse everything. That's just you know, trading apples and oranges as if they're the same. And, you know, you end up with the problem still there, except somebody else is wearing the hat. And so we now are in a place where the gender wars have come to, um, I think, their peak, and where the patriarchy is really under pressure. And the, um, you know, the rise of women to power is not so they can take it away from men, but so that we can begin to blend and we can begin to restore some sanity and we can begin to say, you know, why is there sex? Why are we here? And get some answers. It's about evolving to forms that do not have to experience death and in which the creator urge and the creator power is unleashed within each individual. So we have our homework cut out for us, don't we? We do, and um, I agree with you that I feel that we are, it isn't about switching back to the opposite pole again. I know there's lots of people who believe that the feminine needs to come back into power, but, you know, I agree with you that it really needs to be more of an equality than anything else. And um, That's right. And and I want to ask you, uh, Penny, because I know we have a lot of new listeners. Can you just give them first your definition of Kundalini energy and how it is, how it is the path to God realization? And then, then we'll go back and we'll discuss uh, how sexuality fits in. Okay. Wow, that's a tall order, Ankel. Um Definition of Kundalini would be. A, an event in the physical body-mind system that completely opens um, the body-mind system, including the perceptual system, to all that is. You enter the God state. Kundalini is a moment when, um, if you can visualize, you know, those who have heard of chakras, um, you can visualize these chakras stacked up in front of you and behind you. There's a dozen. Um, one at the base, the root chakra, um, down by the tailbone, and then one at the top, which is the head. And then it zigzags back and forth. It actually um, spirals around the body. And so the, you've got these chakras, and they're, most of people's chakras are pretty low level functioning, pretty closed. There's a minimal amount of energy going in and just enough to keep the person alive and keep the organs functioning. Then in a kundalini experience, for whatever reason, the person meditates or you're having a sexual experience or you have a terrible fright 
and you need to open in order to survive. That will also trigger Kundalini. And at the moment that you open, these chakras, which kind of look like morning glories, um, you know, the way that they sort of hang out there about a foot in front of the body, and maybe anywhere from two to six inches in diameter. Um, and they are, what you see when you look into a chakra is you see these lights are kind of circling into them, spiraling into them, and going into the individual's body. In you know, it, and that energy then is what sustains. It's light. There's a lot of a lot of scientific stuff about light and frequencies and particles and waves and et cetera, fields that people are not aware of. So I won't go into all of that. But this light is, is spiraling into these chakras. At the moment of a kundalini experience, all of the chakras open up 100% with no resistance. There's no thinking. There's no shoulds and shouldn'ts happening. There's nothing of that sort. There's no physical tension in the body. And the result is that you get this explosive freight train of light that moves into the chakras all at once and moves up because light um, spirals through the body moving up. It also moves in and down, but it, it has to move in and up in order for full life to be achieved. And when it hits the brain, when that massive... Um, wave of light hits the brain, it explodes consciousness, and it takes you back to the source, the source of all that is. And that source is light, and all that is there, there's no form there, there's no anything there, there's just light in this one single thought. And that thought is, I am. And that is the thought that powers your existence, that gives you the ability to say, I am, I exist, I'm here, etc. And that power, that thought never wavers. And the amount of light that you are taking in is the amount of life that you will have to enjoy, to spend, to experience, etc. And so in a nutshell, that's kind of a simplified explanation of Kundalini. Yeah, what happens after you have been into... Okay, we've lost Penny temporarily. Was it our fault or her fault, Ahano? No, it's just the line dropped, but I'm sure she'll connect back with us. But when she does come back, I'm really fascinated by this discussion because to me, my understanding, and of course bearing in mind that I think my understanding may well be reflected in the rest of the male population because I grew up in that same patriarchal society and with those imbalances. And I understood that sexuality was for procreation and pleasure and that we were the only animals. Interesting, I'll I'll, I'll stress that word, (laughs) animals. We're the only animals that actually took pleasure in the act. Now, Penny Kelly... No, I think... All animals, if you watch animals, they take pleasure in the act. I think they do, but it's up to a point. It, they can't sustain the pleasure like we do. It may, it, it may be a pleasurable act for them, and we'll get clarity from Penny about this. I think that it is purely driven by the need to procreate. And once that's done, 
that's it whereas the human tends to use it to co- for the continuation of pleasure now let's get clarity from Penny about that when she reconnects with us but in the meantime though I do find her view about sex being desire being intention beyond procreation to move it into the ascension area I find that really really fascinating because there is no doubt that the that the satisfaction and the pleasure and the joy from orgasm has to be related in some way to something higher it, it, it really must be it must be a, a glimpse of of godness of well I think it it is I think pleasure and bliss is the design of God period okay yes. and I and I don't think it just has to do with sex I mean I do because I've had my own experiences of going up those chakras as she describes and experiencing bliss at different levels and I've gone into the I am as well all right so I do know what she's talking about and uh, it is a very different type of uh, pleasure than the normal imagery that we're taught. Is she there? Yeah, she's here. Just one moment. Okay. Now let's get Penny Kelly back and remind our listeners that we are speaking with Penny Kelly from Michigan and we are talking about sex and Kundalini. Penny, you're very welcome back. Hi, Penny. Are you there? Hello. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened, yeah. but w- it was getting juicy, wasn't it? I don't either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we overloaded the line or something. Yeah, yeah the powers oh, that gosh. the powers that be you have to shut us down when we're having this conversation. <laughs> oh, anyway, we yeah. were we were discussing Kundalini and I think you were about to talk to us about the relationship between sexuality and Kundalini now that we've got a clear definition of Kundalini. Okay. Yeah. What happens after Kundalini occurs? is that now the body has had a taste of the Godhead. It's tasted its Godness, is the best way to put it. And the result is because of the rewiring that occurs at that instant, now everything is open, everything is connected, and there's this natural ongoing um, taking in of energy at a much higher level, and much higher frequency, and you don't have, in fact, the first two or three years for me were really, really difficult because I didn't have any barriers um, to being fully awake and aware of everything, everything. It was so distracting. It was so discouraging to know what people were really thinking and what they were really feeling. It was really hard to... um, you know, to be trying to convince myself that, um, you know, that I was still the same person and and I was not. Um, and so you end up with this, um, the body now starts to operate naturally at a, in a whole different way. And so what began to happen was that these orgasmic experiences would occur in the middle of the day when the body was like taking in energy, um, Any time that I would relax, it would, you know, start up. And when I say start up, I mean several things would become really obvious. The first thing would be um, my breathing would change. The second thing would be my heart would start to race. 
The third thing would be there, uh, this increased heat moving through me, this roaring sound, absolute un- utter engulfing roaring um, sound, like the sound of a thousand tornadoes, um, you know, moving through me. And then there would be this, um, you know, this feeling of orgasm, and it would move up through each chakra, and it would go bing, 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 <laughs> you know. Um, and I would lose consciousness for a minute and be back in that God state. And then, you know, that is just not good in the middle of the grocery store or when you're driving. And so it was a very difficult period. And I kept trying to, quote, get control of my body and my perception. And the fact of the matter was that the body was busy operating at a whole different level and it took a couple of years for me to get accustomed to that kind of function and that kind of perception and um, and figure out what to do and what not to do and how to behave and etc so it's very very different so the the sexuality in the beginning was this major I felt it was this major problem because I didn't have any control over that whole experience, having an orgasm, you know, spontaneously. And that has been those students that have triggered their own kundalini or people who have made their way to me um, because of kundalini and their struggling. Um, they, you know, it's the same in every case. How do I stop this? What's, you know, this is so inappropriate. And the first thing you have to do is drop your guilt. The second thing you have to do is, is drop the idea that sexuality is about, um, you know, finding a lover or finding a husband or a wife. Sexuality is only to be, you know, something that happens after you're married or when you're going to get married or, you know, that kind of thing. All of that goes out the window because now what do you say? You know, what is it about this vacuum cleaner, <laughs> you know, that triggered that whole experience? Or what is it about the, the you know, music in the grocery store or the smile on this person's face that, you know, why, why, why is this happening? And what you realize is that sexuality, the experience of orgasm, is the experience of the Godhead. It has nothing to do with all the romantic um, illusions that are fostered here. And what I, I think is really important to understand is that once the, um, the mountain men, we'll call them the mountain men, um, got, you know, got control of the goddess cultures, one of their big goals was to stamp out this free sexuality for several reasons. One, they understood that that led to some very unusual powers, and they absolutely did not want those powers to be uh, evident and widespread within the culture. They did not want to be embarrassed. They were embarrassed by the whole sexual thing. Um, And so they began this campaign of making sex uh, dirty, making it bad, making the body evil, etc. And that has survived to today. And you're fighting that whole um, enculturation, that whole indoctrination of what I would call the religious cults that have evolved over time that have totally gotten us away from 
the truth about sexuality and the fact that every sexual experience aligns certain cells in the body. And um, I'll just, you know, I'll just kind of say in a very brief manner, every cell has a north pole and a south pole on it, and every single cell in the body is oriented in a, with all their north poles, all the cells have all their north poles in, oriented in the direction that will allow those cells in that organ or that tissue to pick up the information about their own function that they need to have in order to work well. When disease occurs, it occurs because the orientation, the polar orientation of those cells gets out of alignment and now the cell can no longer pick up the information it needs. When a sexual experience happens in the body, there are these massive waves of electromagnetic energy that move up through the body or should move up through the body and those waves of electromagnetic energy realign the poles of the various cells in such a way that they are back to picking up the information that they need in order to function, in order to reproduce themselves, etc. So the sexual function in the body is literally a healing function. The minute you stop being perfectly healthy is the same minute that you begin to make poor decisions and have perceptions that are off kilter or that are off of away from the truth. And that happens all the way down through um, what I'm going to call, you know, the, just the ordinary bad cold and, and, you know, or whatever that happens, you know, getting the flu or getting, you know, breaking something, breaking a foot or an arm or whatever. What happens in that moment is that all of your attention is meant to go on breathing into and healing that thing that is not working well. And so perception moves away from the exterior world and it moves to the interior world because we are meant to heal ourselves and to do so within about 20 minutes. And um, and I have had people that, and I have done it myself, where certain techniques are used to heal something within two or three days that had been a disease process going on for six months um, and, and was obvious that it was healed because full function returned. Penny, but, God, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about really, really groundbreaking things here. You're, you're saying that we have the power to heal ourselves, which I think everybody is, is very much aware of. But, of course, this same patriarchal society has moved us into the drug-taking culture. So we understand we need yeah. to bring balance into that. But I want to just go back before, before you move on, because you're moving on to some really, really interesting subjects here. But going back to when you talked about control of the sexual experience, I can understand where that came from in terms of the way you've described the, the uh, patriarchal society. Now, mm-hmm. isn't it the case, though, that some control is needed with sexuality? I mean, isn't, 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 it, isn't there an element of common sense with an aspect of control over a person's growing sexuality? Or have I am am I still stuck in the in the that patriarchal belief? 
I mean, are you are you no, suggesting that not. we go back to, in in a sense, go to the flower power of the sixties and the free sex and that kind of an arrangement? <laughs> I, no, no, I'm not. Um, although that is the you know the thing that most people think of first, um, and then they ask you know I, well what's beyond that? Where how does this control? How would it manifest? What would it look like? Okay, so one of the things that you will find when you get deeply into various kinds of religions, especially uh, the more esoteric religions, is that they talk about um, fasting, they talk about giving up sexuality, they talk about celibacy, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so the question becomes, why do they do that? You know, why would you not do that? Well, first of all, you could maintain yourself as a body of light, um, just using light. But the idea behind celibacy was that, um, was just the opposite of squashing the sexual urge. It was to nourish that sensuousness and that sexual uh, arousal and hold it. Because when you do, you get a little step closer, you move a little step closer to being able to exist in your God state. You move a little bit closer to being able to hold that kind of bliss without having to discharge it. So then the question becomes, if I can't hold it, I need to discharge it. How do I do that in the most meaningful way? Well, we're not into meaningfulness around sexuality yet, but I think as a culture, we'll get there. Um, so the most meaningful thing would be to find someone, a partner, a lover, that is very interested in the kinds of things that involve higher consciousness and to have sexual experience between those two partners become a sacrament again. It isn't, you know, I think one of the reasons for the degeneration that occurred at the end of the goddess cultures was that the reasons for um, keeping sex as a sacrament were lost. You know, all of a sudden it was, you know, it wasn't something that was very carefully attended. In back in the days of the goddess, women were taught very, very specific um, techniques and routines for raising their own consciousness and then raising the consciousness of their husband or chosen partner. Didn't It wasn't a husband usually, but it could be. Um, but they weren't limited in that way. And we are not... We don't think along those lines. We need to begin talking about sex and answer the question, why is there sex? And the answer to that question is because the sexual feeling is the feeling that the Godhead maintains. And the more you can hold that feeling, and it starts with a little bit of peacefulness, and then you know, it becomes joy, and then it becomes bliss and then it becomes ecstasy and then you know then you're not here after that okay. the goal is to become a being who can hold that penny when you talk about holding that feeling will you hold that thought just for a moment as we take a very yeah. very quick studio break thank you this is the art of living well radio network radio to inspire enlightened living
You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Angel Rose and Pahanu. Well now, I am absolutely riveted. I'm stuck to the microphone here today discussing this issue of sex and Kundalini with our special guest, Penny Kelly, who can be contacted at pennykelly.com, all one word, pennykelly.com, and her telephone number. 269-624-6022. Great. Okay, glad you clarified that. That's super. Now, Penny Kelly, you have a healing center up there in Lawton, Michigan, and do you include some of that sex and Kundalini teachings in your workshops up there? I do. I do. I don't, um, you know, I always take time in my classes to explain what is the sexual, um, you know, experience about? What is it for? Why is there sex? And um, most people are pretty surprised. Um, A lot of people seem to get it immediately. Um, And there's a reverence for the sexual thing. And a sense of humor develops around it as well. A lot of people do not have a very good sense of humor um, around sexuality. And uh, and there's an understanding then, you know, that, that a lot of people just simply try to repress their sexuality. That doesn't work. You And it seems counterintuitive to say you have to be doing things that get you turned on just so you can learn to hold that. And, in fact, that is the entire thesis, if you will, behind um, what is that form of yoga that... Uh, where they, it's a sexual kind of practice. I forget what it's called, Tantra. That is the thesis behind Tantra, is, you know, learning to hold those high levels of, um, that high level frequency that occurs during orgasm and to still go to work every day and to still deal with your family, etc. It's very distracting. It's a, it's a very um, difficult challenge in the beginning, but after a while, it becomes the path of joy and the path of bliss. Yeah, and Penny, isn't it so. similar, really? I have a couple questions here. For people who don't have a spontaneous kundalini rising like you did, and people who the kundalini is rising gradually, uh, perhaps and naturally through their meditations or through their self-work or whatever, and, right. you know, they may experience those kundalini activations or those moments of orgasm, possibly not as intense as, as what you experienced. But my question becomes, because I don't want our listeners thinking that we're, we're really talking about having these urges and going out and looking for release through another person all the time. But I do know with my own path that those experiences felt like greater and greater experiences of being in love with everything and and being being aware of everything every tiny little thing you start to notice everything becomes uh, blissful and beautiful and i i want to first of all ask if that's how you're experiencing it also and number 2 can we talk about how badly sex is distorted in our culture, because what I find is that I think, you know, when two people have sex and if they're stuck in their lower images, let's say, the programming that we have through pornography and 
all of that type of stimulation, or indeed if they're been inhibited through religions and things, then to me, a lot of the sexual exchanges has a lot of distorted imagery in it, in the act. And I personally feel that can be very damaging. So can you talk about that? Yeah. What was your first question, um, Ann Gale? The answer to it was yes. I just remember thinking, yep, she's right. Um, That is, I think it was about falling in love and seeing beauty and everything. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You do. I I did and still do. Um, I see the world in terms of this absolutely stunningly beautiful and magnificent um, dynamic unfolding. It's just constant. And I remember um, realizing way back when um, that, you know, at the beginning of Kundalini, maybe a year and a half or two into it, I described myself in my journal as, my God, I've become this fountain of love. It's, it's pouring out of me. How do I stop this? And, you know, and I made quite an effort to try to get control of that. Again, our whole culture is about control instead of allowing, instead of allowing what is to be and dealing with that, we try to control. And, you know, and after a while, I just had to realize that I was in love, absolutely head over in love with everything from the littlest grain of sand to, you know, the biggest jerk you could, you know, find and put in front of me to the tiniest flower to to whatever. So, yeah, it is this falling in love. And because, to go to your second question, because the whole sexual thing has been distorted so badly, um, we really... I think don't have a snowball's chance in hell of getting to higher consciousness unless and until we begin to allow ourselves to feel all that we have to feel. And right there, you run into 5,000 obstacles because it isn't just the sexual thing that's been distorted. It's the whole rest of the life that's been distorted. One of the big lessons for me in the last couple of, the last year has been that people have to, um, they have, if they're going to heal, if they're going to become the, the, you know, higher consciousness that they are meant to become, they have to do two things. One, they have to allow themselves to be their unique selves with all of their flaws and all their goofy stuff and all of their gifts. And the other is that they have to allow full feeling to flow through that body-mind system. And as soon as you do that, you run into the truth. And nobody wants to deal with their own truth. And so we get people, as soon as, you know, full feeling is not flowing through. Feeling is energy. If nothing's moving, you don't feel anything. You know, that's one of the big lessons for people who get into these flotation tanks. After a while, they can't tell where their body is because it's just floating. There's no feeling associated with it. They become all mind and they expand far beyond the tank. And it's that same kind of thing that occurs during full kundalini. You become all consciousness, all awareness. And um, and feeling when it's moving through the body is some 
frequency of energy. And if that frequency is stopped, then that portion of the body that should be getting that information about motion and frequency and movement, because that's all that cells are, is information about how to move and what motion to make next, then, you know, that part of the body is not getting those instructions and gradually, sometimes suddenly, sometimes not, it goes down and pretty soon a disease develops or a problem and the result is that, you know, you end up with um, a population that is really ill, really sick and the distortions just continue from there. So when we tell our children and ourselves, you shouldn't be feeling that, we are doing a huge disservice. Instead, we could be asking a question sort of like this, you know, where is that feeling coming from? What do you think that's based on? What do you need to do about that feeling? Those kinds of questions allow and they give permission to take action. And life is movement. And so the sexual, um, the, the result of actually deciding that you're going to reach higher consciousness is allowing yourself to feel, which eventually allows you to become fully awake, which then turns you on fully, and then you have to just live in that. And, you know, that is not something that we are taught to do, and so we we struggle. We struggle a lot. Um and I don't think it's it's necessary. I don't I think we have evolved to the point where we can begin to look at the reality of sexuality and realize that the religions, even though some of them are have some really useful things about them, there's a huge amount of distortion and um, disinformation. And I think part of the reason that that is still being disseminated so ferociously, the you know the religious information was a, a ferocious campaign for years was to get control um, over the entire world and to make sure that we did not move into higher consciousness and to make sure that we did not return to the power of women and matrilineal succession when we were matrilineal it didn't matter who the father was the woman was going to take care of that child because it was her child period you know, we're just now getting over that whole idea of, you know, he's a bastard or he's a, you know, he doesn't have a father or nobody knows who the father is or that kind of stuff is totally useless, that kind of perception. It's still a human being. The child still needs to be loved. He's still a valid member of this reality with gifts to give, period. Penning, if we could... I want to, do want to answer the question because you've mentioned it a few times today in terms of what is sexuality. So let's talk about that. And then my part two to that is how do you undo the distorted imagery that most people have about sex? Because, you know, to me, you know, when you see it everywhere, it is based on a woman with a short skirt and high heels and you know, pleasure is if you're wearing a garter belt or a corset. And, you know, there's there's nothing divine about that, in my opinion. Okay, so can you 
can you first talk to us? You know, you've you've said the question a couple times, why sexuality? And so could you describe how important it is and what it is? And then let's move to the, the, the distorted thing again. Okay. All right. The, the first question, you know, why is there sex? It's because that is the path to achieving or becoming or entering the God state. Sexuality is the way that you are or being fully turned on sexually is the way that you feel and operate in a fully awakened state. So the path, it's just a very simple answer. Why is there sex? Because it is a path to God. There are a few others, um, you know, service, um, nature, those are also paths to God. But, um, you know, it's, the goal is that we are part of a system of life. This entire reality, our entire cosmos, is a system of life. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that system is designed to evolve beings who can continue to nurture life. You don't want to evolve a whole bunch of people who do nothing but destruction. That just is totally counterproductive. So the goal is to become or enter the God state and to live there and to operate from there, to create from there, to nurture from there. So that's the short answer for why is there sex. And then as far as on doing distorted imagery, when, when I have worked with people, the first thing that they need usually is uh, information. They need the truth, and they recognize the truth about what sexuality is. And the second thing is that there needs to be a period of grief. They begin to recognize that they've been, um, you know, told the wrong things. They begin to feel resentment. They begin to cry about that. Um, And so there needs to be a period of grieving, and it's, you know, it's really sometimes pretty intense. The third thing is that once you think you have gotten past all of the, um, you know, the, the mistaken thinking and you have gotten past all the romantic programming that goes on, um, then there's always a few um, very, very deep and very personal issues that have to be, you have to dig out um, and you have to realize that those are, um, you know, they have to be worked on and, and a lot of people just do the true thing and then they grieve, but they don't go deep enough to really undo the distortions that they carry um, from the whole, from past lives, from the whole self. And so that has to be done. So I call that the digging deep period. And then um, the last thing is that there has to be the creation of a new form of a new standard, maybe we could call it that, a new form of what would life be and how would I enjoy life if I wasn't chasing that skirt over there or chasing that money over there or chasing that guy over there or chasing whatever and was really going after the thing that brings eternal life. What would that look like, sound like, feel like? How would I behave? What would I be doing with my time, my energy, my consciousness, and so on? So it's a process. It's a process, Angel. You have It's a piece of work, and not 
uh, usually only those who are really interested in higher consciousness will undertake the last part of that. And, and it's, you know, I tell people, I don't care what level you want to take it to, for God's sakes, at least get to the truth about, you know, what sexuality is and drop and heal and grieve, you know, all of the um, illusions that we have been sold. And those illusions are basically meant to distract. And in a sense, it is the, I'm going to call it the powers that be, for lack of a better term, have wanted to have control over how you approach that sexuality and how you see that sexuality. And they've wanted to parcel that out and have it be a treat, um, you know, that if you do all the right things and you say all the right things, you will be, you know, you will experience a moment of joy. But their joy never lasts, and most people never get there. Mm-hmm. So now, in, uh, in speaking about dropping the illusions, Penny, around sexuality. You, you mentioned just once in the entire time we've been speaking, you've mentioned the word romance. Is that part of the illusion also, or is romance part of this growth of awareness of the bigger idea of sexuality as being the path to God? Um, the answer is yes and yes. <laughs> um, yes, you have to. The romance that is perpetrated upon us today through advertising, through expectations, through education. That, that, that idea of romance is grow up, fall in love, find somebody handsome or someone beautiful. Um, you know, hopefully they have uh, education and some money and get married and live happily ever after. Um, love will make everything right. Well, yeah, that's all true in a sense, but the thing that will make that sustain is missing. And the, the thing that will sustain that is the truth. And the truth is a little bit different. Yes, you want to grow up. Yes, you do want to fall in love. And you want to fall in love with somebody that you will, you know, go to the ends of the earth with. Um, but you cannot sell your soul. In other words, the, if you find the perfect person and he or she, she says, well, I need you to be this and I need you to not say that and not do this and wear these clothes and, and you know, and support me in my work and uh, blah, blah, blah. That is a distortion right there. The goal is the evolution of the self not the establishment of a relationship that then continues to suck all of your attention and energy that should be used to develop the self into some useless or fruitless um, path. If the relationship is based on I will stand with you and I will challenge you and I will be here and I will love you and I will nurture your dream with you and you will do the same for me. Then you've got magic. Then you've got something that is really beautiful and you win at all the levels. And there are not a whole lot of those kinds of relationships, but I have seen some, and they're truly, truly beautiful. And they're not all smooth, you know, um, because people change. 
here's the here's the catch. The more you are loved, honestly loved for who you are, the more of yourself you become. And you are highly likely in today's romantic setting to grow past the expectations and the limits and the boundaries of your partner. And that should challenge your partner to grow. And if the partner blows up and says, ah, you know, you're different. You're not who you were. Yeah, right there. Ooh, you are being challenged to go backward instead of go forward with yourself. It doesn't work. And so relationships fall apart over and over and over. The romance, real romance that occurs as you grow is the kind of romance Angela was talking about earlier when she said, I just, you know, you end up falling in love with everything and everyone. Life and all of its problems and all of its beauties and all of its action becomes the romance. And, uh, and it's a satisfying romance. It's, it's an amazing, you begin to accept that you're here for the experience of life, not to create a scripted romantic illusion. In terms of the sexual act, is it possible that one, as you become more in love with everything, do you really have to have the, the physical sexual act with your partner the way that we describe? I mean, I'm not excluding it, but I'm just saying that. Right. Is it possible when you're yeah. in love with everything that every single moment with that partner is romance, you know, whether you're making a cup of coffee or you're, you're talking about work or you're just, you know, I mean, to me, to me that once you love that way, that it's, it's a daily moment by moment experience of everything being romantic, you know, like the sky is beautiful. So it's romantic The sea, the, the way the wind is blowing the leaves, you know, to I mean, to me, all of that awareness and that beauty and bliss is romance. And, you know, I think, I think we have an idea that romance is, uh, its, its goal is to lead to the bedroom. And I just think that's a, a false idea of romance and satisfaction can come moment by moment in every single moment. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think you're right on. The um, the idea that romance should lead to the bedroom is really limiting. And once you've had kundalini or entered into those higher states of consciousness, what you begin to see is, whoa, I can have this kind of bliss and satisfaction without ever touching another lover or without ever making love again. You're not excluded from that. But it doesn't become this grinding source of agony that either there's too much of or too little of and you're out of balance. You end up just where you said, in this romance with everything and occasionally that leads to physical making love, but it isn't necessary. And I say that from a female point of view, knowing full well that men are very different and for them, that kind of romance leads to sexual, full sexual experience in the bedroom very often. That is part of their makeup and their thinking, etc. But here's the burden on the man. 
if he wants that, if he wants it to end in the bedroom after watching the leaves and looking at the sky and the ocean and the waves and, you know, listening to the children laugh and all of those things that are so beautiful, then it's up to him to create an experience that is absolutely irresistible. And that's not the way many men go about, you know, presenting that whole sexual experience. It's really, even in good love making, it's a lot of wham, bam, thank you, ma'am kind of stuff. And for a lot of women who grow to full spiritual maturity, that is not enough. You know, they'd rather make love once a year and have it be absolutely a sacred, magical experience than to have to be on call, you know, every day and it have zero meaning. And so, um, you know, I tell a lot of men, you have gotten lazy and you have not earned that reward. And they're, you know, they get all bristly. <laughs> well, what about the woman? Where's her part in? And I say the woman very often doesn't need that like you do. And so if you need that, you are subject to that. You have to do the work. And the reward is great. It's for, and the reward is for both. So, you know, it doesn't exclude um, sexual, physical, sexual love at all. But it really puts a different spin on it. And um, we are lazy. We think that you know, sex is a snap affair. Uh, it's not. Um, and it should lead to the full spiritual development and awakening, especially if you have a partner you like. You know, well, why Penny, not at least once in a while have that sacred thing? Yeah, Penny, what about men using the, and, I, and I'm sure this is true for men, but, you know, I have needs, you know, I have needs. I have to yep. release this. You know, what, what do you say to that? So do I. And I need you to go away. <laughs> you know, I'm not your uh, drug of choice for the day. It, it is true that if you truly care about the man and he has needs, then the first need that he has is a need to recognize what is his role and responsibility in that. And I'm not trying to put it all on the man either because the woman at least has to be interested enough to cooperate to the point that it becomes a mutual sort of gifting to one another. And once in a, I should say this also, once in a while, what, a, what did we used to call We used to call it a quickie. Once in a while, a quickie is great but not, you know, as a steady diet and, you know, and always with the recognition that the man, like I said, has a much tougher time because of the kind of hormones that he carries, has a much tougher time raising that kundalini, getting that awareness into the Godhead and being able to hold that kind of sensuousness and sexual arousal without having to look for a partner. It's a tremendously challenging thing. I'm glad I am not a man this time around. So my sympathies to all the males that might be listening. All right. In, in terms of um, raising the kundalini and having that experience, you know, mm -hmm. do you think it's possible to have a dream? You know, I'm speaking of myself because I had a dream many years ago where... Um, there were these two female beings and I, and I felt like I knew them in the dream, but they gave me this mm -hmm. chalice of uh, elixir to drink in the dream. And, and I drank oh, it and, yeah. and, as, and as soon as I did, it was kind of an orange gold color, 
as soon as I did, mm-hmm. I was in mm-hmm. hyperspace. I, I felt like I was in an, a train that was traveling underground yeah. through all these tunnels and taking turns at right angles, and it was it was hyper hyper speed. And anyway, I they took me under they they took me underneath the Great Pyramid. And next thing you know, I was in a crystal city and they told me that I was uh, going to be a healer. And I woke up and my hands were burning and, uh, you know, somebody showed up and attuned me to Reiki for free. And then I went on to do my my fourth dimensional site opened up and I ended up doing uh, psychic surgery for years. So, I mean, to me, when I look back mm-hmm. on the conversations about Kundalini, I do wonder if that was... Was that a type of an activation? Yes. Yes. And one of the things to be aware of is that when you're close, very close to a full awakening, but you haven't quite gotten there yet, your consciousness, which is always awake, always on, will sometimes help to move you into a position or into an experience in what we call a dream state, which is... You know, we won't say anything more about just a dream state, but in that dream state, it experiences what it needs to experience. The orange gold liquid is exactly the orange um, gold fire that I have seen over and over and over and over in moments when looking down through my own body, looking at that base chakra, and the one immediately above it, and realizing that they are swirling around like this, you know, orange fire or orange liquid, and that they're about to blow. And sure enough, um, and there have been a number of experiences I've had in which Kundalini it doesn't need to be wide awake. It just needs to be, the body needs to be ready for it. And I evidently was ready, and people can get ready. Um, some of it is diet, some of it is exercise, and a huge piece of it is allowing. Allowing yourself to feel and to be. And um, you can't, you know, the old warnings were about people who are not ready, who would be driven insane by the constant consciousness and by the being able to see into all dimensions. That's very frightening. So you were ready, and you've probably, I'm, I'm just going to say this off the top of my head, had at least one or two other experiences in which you, um, you know, were in a dream state and furthered that awakening in some way. No, too, that, very common. that I meditated a lot when I was younger, and I, and I was taken to different dimensions and different planes of existence, and I did dematerialize and become the I am at one point, and I I remember it scared me. It scared me because I had the thought like, well, you know, what if I can't get back, you know, to my body, and I have these three little children, and <laughs> okay, and, yeah. and, I, and I immediately was back, but I switched from that, from meditating, and I I went over to study the Course in Miracles, which was beneficial in in many ways. But you know, I went to a textbook in terms of instead of a meditated state. And now I feel I've come full circle because I am very aware, really, you know. And I have always known this since I was small that death was not a natural thing. And so, could you yep. could you talk about that a little bit in terms of what really is 
the God intention or the God potential for us as human beings? And, and I say that question because through religions, through being brought up Catholic, there was so much emphasis, and there still is. I mean, even the Course in Miracles has this emphasis that the body is an illusion. Yeah. The body was made for separation. It, it's not a divine thing. You know, even some of the UFO channelings call it a container that your soul is, is just using to be thrown away later. And I've, I've only recently, past two years, come around to saying, wow, you know, how, how distorted is that when you realize that you actually have an ascension chamber within your physical body? So could you address that whole thing? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's a, there's a goal that we have, and the goal is to become an eternal being. In order to become eternal, we have to transform the body into a body of light. If we can transform that body into a body of light, then it is no longer subject to death. It is no longer subject to food. It is no longer subject to time. And so we end up in a place where we are needing then to be part of or to construct or to transform our reality to match the kinds of capabilities and worldview that we have. We have the world we have because that's the worldview that we are expressing. And a lot of destruction in our worldview right now, lots of difficulties, um, but the the goal of any system of life, of any reality system, is to start with a tiny seed, and and the seed is typically going to be a planet, and then for that planet to develop um, forms of life that are suitable or that can utilize the kinds of materials that are on that planet, and then to begin to evolve from there once you have higher beings who are conscious that they are conscious. So we have made it that far here. And the planet is still alive and still supporting us and hoping, you know, we are the planet's highest hope because the system, the entire reality system, is or can become an immortal system. And that is the consciousness of the whole system of life here on the Earth. So now we have this planet who's, you know, nurturing plants, feeding plants, the plants are feeding animals, um, you know, and us, and we are evolving. So what's the next step? The next step is that we have to begin transforming to become light and to move past death. There have been examples of that. And we have basically ignored a lot of that. There have been thousands of years of, of history, millions of years of history and populations growing up trying to get there and most of them collapsing in self-destruction mm -hmm. at the end. And so the planet tries again. Mm -hmm. So there's the cycle. That's what we have to accomplish. And that's the work that I see us really struggling with right now. We're trying to make a leap. And we're very close. We're actually very close. Yes. I wanted to finish with that question, actually, as we're winding down to the end of our program, Penny. In, on a scale okay. of 1 to 10, how would you say we're doing overall? I would say we're probably at a 6 right now. We, 
because there are so many awakened people, the, the first stages of development are very slow, the last stages are very quick. If we can avoid the self-destruction, we will transform and we will have an entirely different kind of reality with different worldview and different goals for individual development. Right now the goal is grow up, get an education, get a good job, you know, get married, have 2.3 children or whatever it is. That doesn't take us anywhere. Um, and we have exhausted that. It's been a beautiful way of filling the earth. Um, and one of the things you want are these bodies, to go back to Angel's container idea, once you get to become a light body, you can create any container you want. You might not want the one you've got, especially if it's sickly or out of shape. But once you get to higher consciousness and you have had the experience of creating a physical body when you need one, then that's a whole different ballgame. Okay. Totally different. All right. We have to leave it there, Penny. Unfortunately, we are at the end of our program. We covered today your fantastic definition of Kundalini and the chakras. We've talked about the school system and authority and rules and desires, how sexuality is tied to evolutionary involvement. We talked about the ancient times of the goddess and sex as a sacrament, sex as a celebration, when times were matrilinear and sexuality was the key to higher consciousness. We also talked about the current patriarchal society and its imbalances and the solutions that are not to reverse it but to blend and balance it. And then we spoke in detail about the chakras as lights like morning glories was the way you described them, that there was no form in thought, that the I am powers our existence and the amount of light that we take in is what radiates so it's important that the chakras are open and fully functional. We talked about control over the sexual experience and the guilt and indoctrination around sexuality. And then we spoke about sexuality not being about finding a lover or a husband or a wife and that every cell has a north-south pole oriented in the direction to pick up the information about their own function in order to work well and sexuality as a healing function and how poor health is the start of poor decisions. We talked about healing ourselves in 20 minutes, celibacy, the sense of humor around sexuality, being in love with all life everywhere, the challenge of feeling all we have to feel, about allowing that full feeling to flow through the mind-body-spirit and how sex is a path to achieving the Godhead and to continue to nurture all life everywhere. And people recognize the truth around the distortions of sex. We talked a little bit about romance as a path to sustainable truth around sexuality and how standing with your partner in magic and not selling your soul to the establishment. Seconds. We also talked about the more you love and are loved, the more of yourself you become. And then we finished with how we are the planet's highest hope. And you mentioned that we are at a six in terms of a scale of one to ten roughly in our evolvement. And uh, we have to say a huge thank you to Penny Kelly. That has been an absolutely wonderful discussion today on sexuality. Penny, thank you so much. Um, as always, you are extremely enlightening. And once again, I will make it to Michigan one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're so welcome, and you're so welcome, both things, for today. And if you, um, you, know, if you ever make it here, the door is open, you are welcome. <laughs> All right. We will talk soon again, I'm sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have okay. a good week. 
thank you. Okay. We send you our love, our blessings, and thank you for listening to a Hanu and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. And as we say in Ireland, Slán agus Benacht de Live Galair. This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. Ten seconds. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Angel Rose and Tahanu.